a Mitch and Jeremy exclusive. Are you ready? On air. Online. On your smart speaker and wherever you stream. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it. We are speaking with the one and only uh, Tony Levin. Of course, the band Stickman is coming to Montreal on April 12th at Club Soda. You can head over to clubsoda.ca for tickets. Their latest album uh, released uh, last year is Owari. A live recording, and as we say here in Montreal, bonjour, Monsieur Levin. How are you? Uh, bonjour, very good to be here, and we were excited a about coming to Montreal again, and to coming to Canada, and playing up yeah. in Quebec, playing in in Toronto. But uh, b, we're excited just to be on the road again. It's been two years since we were able to tour. <laughs> yeah, which is which is amazing. Now, I'm just going to tell you this before we start. It's in since in November, I saw Genesis at the uh, Bell Center Great. in Montreal. And I have gone down this path of the rabbit hole of Peter Gabriel and Genesis and all that. And I have been listening and I've got all my, you know, live Peter Gabriel CDs in front of me. And oh. I, I had this, this, this moment that when I was sitting in bed the other day and I was going, yeah, it'd be really cool if I could track down Tony Levin and, and do an interview. And literally in the morning, I woke up to an email saying, hey, do you want to talk to Tony Levin? And I was like... <laughs> I was like, "Dang, little synchronicity going well, on." So yeah, that was me. I heard you. I heard your <laughs> wish, and I set it up. I said, "Hey, let me talk to this guy." Yeah. So so let's talk Stickman, and then I'll, and then I'm going to pepper you with a few Peter Gabriel questions because sure. I have to say I've been listening to these live shows, these encore series from 2003, 2004, 2007, 2000. Phenomenal, just phenomenal. Um, Good. Talk to me quickly about Stickman and what can fans expect at this show? I mean, just look, what, what can fans expect? Yeah, well, Stickman is a, an unusual group. Of course, I think it's a good one, but of I course. also think it's that kind of band that's valid to me because it has a distinction. We don't sound like other bands. And, right. and the reason, the first reason is the instrumentation. I play the Chaplin Stick, which is a a touch style guitar that has bass strings and guitar strings. Okay, right. then Marcus Reuter plays a touch style guitar also. He doesn't play the stick, the Chapman stick, but he plays one that he developed called the U8. So we have two guys who are both bass and guitar. And the third guy, and there's only a trio, the third guy, Pat Mastelotto, is the drummer, one of the drummers in King Crimson. So right. he and I have a great history, but Pat's also not. Uh, he doesn't play in the usual way because he has acoustic drums and also electronics. He's very good at the electronics. So in a way, he can sound like two or three people if he wants. He plays loops and and samples and things like that. So you got three guys uh, challenging themselves to be good musically and to use these unusual instruments to get a distinctive sound. And hopefully, I can't say up to the listener, but hopefully our compositions are also very valid. And very often in the show for fun, we'll do king crimson material because of course two of us just came off a king crimson tour always me and pat and uh also what a challenge and what fun to do as a three-piece do something we just did as a seven piece and give us the, give ourselves that extra challenge so that's what stickman's about yeah and uh i'm i'm gonna go very light on the king crimson questions because uh, being in canada you worked with galwin and so i need to i need to cover that and of course uh i'm a big <laughs> alice cooper fan you played with alice oh. and like I said, I'm in, I'm down the rabbit hole of Peter Gabriel, so I got to go there. Uh, in terms of the show, though, I've had a chance to to look at video and and watch video from past shows and past tours. There is a great 
uh, um, part of improvisation that goes on because you don't really play the same thing the same way. Talk to me about how you approach it musically because it's not on a grid with Pro Tools and here are the same 15 songs. Mm -hmm. There is sort of a, a breathing space, which I'm used to here in Montreal with like a guy like Frank Marino, which you, you never sort, sort of never know where he's going to go. Yeah, we're a little more structured than that, but right. uh, within each piece, there's plenty of room to change. There's the basics that we're not going to change, but plenty of room to change. But also, we like to improv, by which I mean completely, I don't mean jam on a blues, but right. completely improvise. And some of our pieces, maybe one out of ten of our pieces, in if you were to write it out in the middle, it would just say open, the word open, <laughs> and and uh, we can play whatever we want, and we do. Uh, so some some past tours we've done quite a bit of that. We could do the whole night of just improv, but we don't right. we don't want to. And some night some tours we've we've done quite a bit of it. This tour, I specifically am trying to hold it down to two or three pieces that have open improv in the middle of them. They have structure at the beginning and end. And the reason for that is we have a lot of new material. We haven't been just sitting on our butt for the last two years. We have new material, and we'll have, have in fact, a new uh, EP with us called Tentacles. And right. I want to play quite a bit of material from that new, uh, of the new pieces. In addition, of course, play some of our uh, past Stickman material. And, of course, we'll do some King Crimson music. Uh, well, since we're talking about live, let's quickly talk about the live album, Owari. I've had a chance to listen to it, and it, it's, it came out, I guess, in end of 2020 or 2021, right? Uh, when did it come out? That's a good question. Pro I don't follow that. But, end of thing, probably in 2020. It was recorded at the end of February 2020. That I know. And, but it, but it, you had to deal with uh, like some COVID restrictions, I guess, to make that <laughs> show happen. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that, because you listen to it, and it's a live album, but you don't hear the audience. It's just so pure and so clean. Talk to me about putting that one together and, and just capturing that sort of really crispy... Uh, soundscape. Well, thank you. A, a very unusual circumstance. Imagine this, and if you, we can all think back to early 2020, and there was this talk about this virus coming. So we had a tour planned of of China. How's mm -hmm. that for an idea? And Japan. <laughs> yeah. And uh, live from Wuhan. <laughs> yes, yes. So as we, that's those are the flights booked. You know, uh, Tokyo for a few in Japan, and then China, and then come home. And right. uh, as we. I think the day before we got on the plane, China was canceled. This was right. late February. And uh, okay, that was problems for our routing. So, but we went to Japan. And when we landed, they told us Japan is canceled, except we can do the first show. Actually, frankly, some of the, the rest of the clubs closed down and some of them never were to reopen. So wow. we, were, we were literally doing the last show in Japan before uh, lockdown happened. And we had a great deal of trouble booking changing our flights as you can imagine uh you know, here's what a, what a disaster that must have been yeah, right yeah it, it was tricky anyway fortunately that show in uh, nagoya in japan uh was we were able to record it at very high quality we could have added the audience or had there was an audience mic but uh yeah, frankly it's marcus reuter one uh, our wonderful touch guitar player who handles the mixing and decisions like that in the band, he decided to have it really studio quality. And very interestingly, we had asked to join us on that tour of, of uh, was going to be Japan and China, uh, Gary Husband, a remarkable drummer yeah. and keyboard player, <clears throat> wonderful player. And gosh, one thing you don't want to do, let me tell you, as a, a musician with a lot of experience, you don't want to learn a whole 
show worth of new material and only get to do it once. <laughs> so that's unfortunately, Gary went through <laughs> weeks or months of learning really complicated stuff, uh, which is easy for him because he's a fantastic musician, but still a lot of tricky stuff. And he added a great deal to it. So, so that the Owari album is not only the live tour, but it was the only show of the live tour, but it's Gary's <laughs> first and last show with Stickman as our guest. And we have in the past added a fourth member for a little tour, and we usually record it for, for fun. Sometimes it's a violinist, sometimes it's a, a flute player, sax player. Uh, so having Gary really gave it a twist and, and in a harmonically, especially different direction than we used to go in. And that's the kind of short story of, of Owari. Owari. 22... <laughs> 2020 touring of Stickman. And by the way, that's to this date, that's the last show we've done. We're very excited that next week we'll start <laughs> to, touring To again. get on the road. Goodness. Yeah. Goodness. And, and it's great that Owari captures not only a show, but just an entire tour. That's, that's you're probably the <laughs> only tour? band in the history and, of rock to capture an entire tour. And, and a lineup. A lineup. That's the only, <laughs> only time we had Gary with us. We hope to do it in the future, but yeah. the life's complicated. You can't know what's, what's coming. And th this tour is just Stickman, the three of us. Um, talk to me about your musical vision in a sense, because you listen to what you do with Peter, you listen to uh, Awari or, or Stickman and, and, and King Crimson. You've never done that sort of musical stuff that's, you know, pop radio friendly. It's always been challenging. It's always been progressive. It's always been intricate. Uh, talk to me about going down that path and not just going, you know what, I'm just going to play on Britney Spears records and I'll sit back and, you know, talk to me about <laughs> the, the challenging music rather than just, uh Here's here here's a well, symbol baseline uh, for pop. Very very interesting question. It's a very uh interesting subject. Really, I, I haven't I don't think I've thought about it or spoken about it, but it's not it, it's not what you would think. At least right. well, I can only speak about myself. Of, of course, course, I'm no expert at all the all the progressive music. So I fell into progressive rock. I have done a lot of rock recording in my life. Mm -hmm. A lot. And <laughs> that's an I, hour I, show all by itself to list yeah, all your yeah, but, albums. But, yeah, yeah, but I just <laughs> I, I don't judge the style of it and I don't choose the style of it. Well, nowadays I listen to it first. If I don't want to play it, I don't want to play it. But in the, in the old days when I was a studio player, I, I just try to do the best I can for that music. And, and that leads me to the style that it's in. Uh, for instance, on John Lennon's album, on the Double Fantasy album, I wasn't trying to play like... Uh, like it was a Peter Gabriel, like, oh, what's some right. bizarre instrument I can bring to this to take it in some different direction? Uh, I was hearing Beatles-like songs, and I was thought, gosh, I'm lucky to be one of the thousand bass players who could do this in this style, and I will do it as well as I can. So anyway, I wasn't, I wasn't born, I wasn't out of the cradle, hell-bent to play progressive no matter what. And very luckily, in the 70s, I fell into the Peter Gabriel band and the Peter B Gabriel experience. And on that same day in Canada, by the way, in Toronto, uh, same day I met Peter Gabriel, I met Robert Fripp wow. in 76. And remarkably, I'm still making music with both of them. And I'm still uh, good friends, obviously, after all these years and a lot of shows with both. Uh, so I fell into the progressive genre and I really it really appealed to me, having started as a classical player uh, there's something in common with that that way of thinking, uh, uh, so it was comfortable. And and to this day, I, I do. I haven't put numbers on it, but probably nine tenths of what I do is progressive music. But then uh, you're looking at me in my studio, and over there at my at my studio desk, I'll play. Uh, I was recently playing on a folk album that somebody sent me. Wow. Music was good, and I have my upright bass, and I thought, uh, uh, yeah, I'd like to play on that. So 
So at home and in the studio, I do whatever good music I can have the chance to play bass on because that's what I love to do. And through the years, I've become, you know, like I said, nine tenths progressive music. And uh, it didn't have to be that way, but that's the 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 direction that the turn twisting road took me in. When we get to the uh, Peter Graeber album, So, which is certainly more commercially accessible, um, what were the discussions going on on that? Was it like, hey, you know what, Let, let's try to, to write for radio? Or was it like, no, let's just do Peter Gabriel, and then it happened to just hit because of MTV and whatever else? Oh, uh, wow. The, the, the first part of what you asked never happens on any <laughs> album right. that, that the whole band or everybody says hey let's try to make this kind of record peter writes his material every album's different but he writes his material he brings in the musicians he chooses and he wants and in those days it was the peter gabriel band and we just play and we it can take hours or it can take years but when peter is done with his adventure of, of working <clears throat> on that album uh, so came together fairly quickly under the direction of dan lanois a producer usually peter doesn't have a producer but then struggled to to he struggled pretty hard to make it happen quickly, i.e. in a year or a year and a half, instead of 10 years. Uh, uh, and and the style was very much Peter's, and, and Dan influenced the style a lot. But there was no point where anybody had any discussions about what kind of music this is going to be. Right. And if they did, it wouldn't have been with with me. It would have been Dan and Peter. Maybe right. I, I doubt if they had that discussion either. So So there was no intention to make it more uh mtv friendly <clears throat> excuse me i think i can tell you a story about right the, about the piece sledgehammer uh and i hope let me say this i hope i'm accurate but because right. i've learned in my elder years that memory is a funny thing and and sometimes <laughs> so have i and i'm not as old as you <laughs> okay yeah sometimes two people will remember the same thing quite differently my of recollection of the piece uh, a sledgehammer we had finished recording the album and we're literally packing up the drums the, on the last night and peter said i, I have this this piece uh kind of started and would you mind doing a take because the next album after this maybe i'll put it on okay so we did and instead of spending a week on it we spent an hour on it and manu Kache came up with a fantastic drum feel for it and somehow i am told i was told that in the subsequent weeks and months the record label heard that and even though peter didn't want it on the album the record label who think in terms of course of a video and, and a single of course uh, they think uh, of billboard they, charts of course yes they asked them to put it on and, and but yes in my experience peter has always had a reluctance to do anything that could be seen as trying to be a pop uh, a, a radio success right which is uh, which is unfortunate so it, because he's got a great voice for it yes it, or Fortunate or not, uh, maybe it is fortunate, but anyway, that's him. And I think uh, what happened with that record was in spite of Peter, it became popular. I, I don't think he hated that idea. I don't, I never asked him, but I don't, I know he wasn't aimed at that. And I know his instinctive, uh, uh, his instinct was to avoid that. But uh, in spite of himself, it became popular. And in spite of himself, his audience grew huge. And the Genesis fans, who were the basis of his audience, before that kind of kind of stuck with him, but a little reluctantly, because as you know, if you're devoted to a progressive band and suddenly they're popular, you're like, oh, this is not this is not why I signed on to this. This is not why I became passionate about this. Uh, so that was interesting too, yeah. as the audience changed. 
Yeah, the, the the Genesis fans or the the, the purists in nineteen eighty six between Invisible Touch and So must have been spinning, going, "What? What is this?" Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about it, if you, if you follow, I love Peter both, Gabriel, by the way. So yeah, if you follow Peter Gabriel's career, the style has changed drastically, not on every record, but on most records. So he's gone really. He's invented genres, and he's gone world music, and he's been African, and and the early Genesis stuff is so different than that. And in, in the early Peter Gabriel, the first albums, maybe the first two albums, were different than each other, but also different than what had been before. Let me let me just pick up on that uh, since you mentioned African. The one thing I get when I listen to, especially these live albums, is the absolute sense of rhythm that comes through, and it's a very African rhythm, and, and it's, it's just it just drives every song. Uh, talk to me a little bit a little bit about that and the importance and and what is it for you to play along to that and get into that rhythm and sort of make it a whole piece and and be able to do that because it's it's fascinating when you listen in the headphones and you just hear. These live shows—they're—they're—they're not—they're not just some something thrown up on a Pro Tool grid, and here you go. There's all kinds of bits and pieces moving. It's—it's mm. it's, it's wonderful. Well, thank you. Uh, the, the using African or using world instruments, but especially right. African, was a phase Peter went through. Maybe it, he'll be that way again. I don't know, but it was looking at his whole career that was only some of the years of course for us in the rhythm section it changed everything it changed the rules right. and that's great it was a exciting a kick in the butt to try to find a way to fit in with that kind of stuff with talking drums or with a for eight drummers playing uh yeah. playing african rhythms great great challenge and sometimes it worked in in person with them in the studio but more often peter would record them uh, and then we would come in and play to that or we would play the track then they would play to us. Then we would take out us and play to them. Uh, so that was pretty tricky. And then live, we were able to tour with with uh, and Dor and his band, mm -hmm. and and they could play some of those instruments, not all of the ones that were on the record. So a great experience, and really, it, it brings me back to the time. I'm not sure of the years, but the time those years that that was the sound of, with Peter, uh, and it, it was it is frozen in time in an, in an interesting way right. and uh, very different than what he's doing now. I can tell you that last September, by the way, we, uh, we, the same band uh, went in the studio and, and pretty much finished the rhythm tracks on a new album. So I can't predict when that will be out, but, wow. uh, uh, and let me say also that Peter, uh, on the new I'm, Peter Gabriel album, you mean? I'm saying that the wow. uh, we finished the rhythm tra tracks wow. on a new Peter Gabriel album, and I'm excited both as a fan and as a member of the band to see when it will come out. I have no idea, and right. I do write uh, notes to the management every every month or so, saying, uh, "Will it be this year?" We don't know yet. <laughs> so that, maybe they know, but they're not telling me. Uh, um, so that's exciting. But but, but let, let me just say that the. Well, no, go ahead with your question. Well, I was just going to say, has that made you a better player? Because when you get into the studio with a, a person like Peter, and it's different every time, you don't know what to expect. Do you ever get to the studio and go, well, I don't think I can do this? Or do you just say, okay, I got a job to do, and I'm going to... Is it? Has it made you a better player? Has it made you change what you do? Or do you just sort of have this natural talent and whatever I throw at you, you can sort of handle? <laughs> Very good question. Let's forget the last part of it. I don't have this natural talent. Well, you sort of do. Uh, yeah, but but let's, I become I have become a better player from all of the musicians who are very good musicians that I get right. to play with. That right, including King Crimson. 
Yeah, it started when I was a kid, and the drummer in my first band, the band was called the Cavaliers. The drummer was great, and I wasn't, <laughs> and I didn't become great from that uh, couple of years. But but you learn. It's great. One of the great things about music music is uh, when you have the chance to be with players who are kind of at a level above you. You you get to get to learn. And and right. yeah. Uh, uh, however, with Peter, I have become a. Uh, a very different and I think better musician because of his, aside from his playing, which is darn good and his singing uh, and his stage presence, by the way. And I learned from that. I don't imitate him, but I learned from standing behind a guy who's a great performer. You, you, you not only get to enjoy it and appreciate it, but hopefully you up your own game as a performer. Uh, but he's so open to alternative ideas musical ideas it not because he's a prog player or because he came from genesis just the way that he is as a person as a musical personality so that uh starting in 19th in july 76 when i was first exposed to that right. and then maybe i played a somewhat normal bass part and he said well what if you went high or what you know what if you did these all kinds of unusual things let me tell you a, a quick story many years later when i first showed up with the instrument the chapman stick the perfect well, actually, I showed up with it. On anyway, uh, uh, he looked at that and watched me playing it. It's a touch style instrument. You play with his with your fingers, and he said, he thought a minute, and he said, "Well, what if you put thimbles on your fingers?" <laughs> <laughs> and think about that. That's he was looking at the most alternative sounding and looking bass he had ever seen, and his first thought was, "Well, yeah, oh, yeah, but how can we make that really alternative to what it is?" And frankly, the end of that story is I still have not tried thimbles on my fingers. Uh, so that's awaiting somewhere in the future. But that gives you an idea. Uh, and also the piece Big Time, which I had Jerry Murata, the drummer, play on the bass strings while I did the fingering when we did the album. Playing live, I was trying to play it with one drumstick in my right hand and, and constantly practicing that at soundcheck. And one day at soundcheck, Peter went by me and looked at me. He said, well, why don't you take two drumsticks and cut them down and put them on your fingers? And and I did, and I called them funk fingers, and and thank you, Peter. <laughs> yeah, a whole way of playing, a whole different way of playing. I would have never thought of it, and uh, it just it, it's like rolling off a log to him, looking at things from, in a different way than other people look at them. And I think when we see his live show, part part of the way that it, part of the reason that it moves us so, the audience and the band, it moves us. A part of that is we we just see this guy, and he's just his. His personality, his insides is out there for you to see. And you just see that, well, he thought of, well, what, what if I was hanging upside down singing this song and walking in a circle? And, and nobody else would think of that. No one else would dream of it. And, and we, we relate to that and we, we're attracted to that. And that's part of the magic of Peter Gabriel's shows. Well, and so the many mystery. questions. And the mystery. Talk to me about that because a lot of bands, especially when they have a band that's not part of the marquee you just sort of stand in the shadows and sometimes the, some bands don't even put lights on them they just sort of stand there by the drum riser um has it been a challenge to be so cinematic in, in your presentation and having to be involved because i mean there's a what not the not the moped what's those those long things that he comes out on uh, what are they called again um you know, the, the, yeah. the walkers there anyway uh yeah. but also the ball and and of course when you get over to stickman now you're it's in your head you go i can't just stand here i got to be visual um was that a challenge for you are you naturally visual or did you sort of go okay i got to be sort of part musician part actor uh 
Good point. I'm not naturally that way because I've been training as a musician, looking at music and reading music my whole life. But touring with Peter, I became that way, not through an effort. I don't mean I became a kind of performer that he is, but uh, King, two examples of the other kind of it. King Crimson, I've just toured all the last year with it. We sit and we play like a classical concert. Right. And there's one lighting change over the three hours of the show. And Peter has all these great ideas and and he starts dancing and and David Rose, his guitar player for many, many years, and I just kind of look at each other and we think, well, what if we sort of did what he does? And then he sees that. He says, okay, come on up and join me and then we'll do this. And he does all of that with a uh, an innocence. It's not like he's a great dancer. <laughs> it's right. not like he's really agile. He's, he's, he's kind of clunky in an in a right. endearing way. So I, uh, that's that's sort of incidental. But, but I, what I'm saying is I can join in with him and not feel like I need to be a professional dancer or an actor. or t- So I, I never really think about I'm putting on this kind of show. It, it just doesn't come up. I just react to Peter and do what feels right in being in his band. And sometimes he asks us to do something or he arranges for the stage to move in a certain way, for sure. By the way, it's a segue, the, the thing that he... Right, he the segue, that's it. Segue. Yes. I, I couldn't and, remember. And, and that, <laughs> yes, and for that matter, a... a a stage that, that moves in a circle while you're playing and we can sit on the edge of it or, or something like that. Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of moving a, parts, a lot of wonderful pr- uh, production ideas all come from Peter, but all with the sense that the band is free and encourages to join in, in, in any way we like. And uh, I, I won't stay on Peter forever. So I'll, I'll stop mm-hmm. with this last question on Peter, but you talk about the, the innovation and the drumsticks on the finger and the thimbles and all this. When you get to recording uh, that one album, um, uh, I guess it's, well, they're all called Peter Gabriel, so he says to you, uh, we're not going to have cymbals, and we're going to have Phil Collins play, uh, and he's not going to have cymbals. You sort of go, what now? (laughs) Right. Good point. That was early on, and and, uh, my friend Jerry Murata was the drummer. Yeah, and and I remember Peter saying, oh, "Let's let's find a way." No metal. To play. <laughs> yeah, no cymbals, and started a whole, really a whole way of of doing drum tracks on on rock records for a lot of years. A lot of people, Phil for sure, but uh, others too, and uh, and then went back off it. <laughs> and, and that's Peter. That's yeah. Peter. Um, so let's let's quickly talk Canada. You've of course worked uh, plenty with a uh, producer, Bob Ezrin. Yeah. He has been uh, compared to well, he 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 is considered a genius up there with Mutt Lang and and Bob Rock and all these others. Uh, talk to me quickly about Bob Ezra and, and having him you know bring you in for those Alice Cooper's uh, albums, the the Lou Reed stuff, and <laughs> what makes him Bob Ezra? I mean, he's not a producer; he is sort of the producer. Good point, and I, I, I those are way back albums, with the Lou Reed and and. Ber- yeah, we're, we're, we're back in the seventies now. And, Lace and, and whiskey, and, uh, uh, and yeah. And so again, you're testing my memory. But Bob is a very uh, was and is a very creative producer who also has a good sense. I've done, I, I guess, I've done a lot of recordings with a lot of producers, mm-hmm. and and they're mostly they're all different. But he right. he in a, in an exceptional way, he has a good sense of. The, his tools, the musicians he has on hand, right. the engineer he has chosen for doing that. So he's got his tools in place, and then he he 
helps the artist go in the artist, in my experience, uh, go in the direction that that artist wants to go and needs to go. And and some, I think he had some conflict with Peter. Uh, conflict is the wrong word. Some uh, differences in the way that they difference of opinion, right? Go. But yeah. does he let and, you be Tony Levin, or does he say no? It's got to be because I know Bob likes to play stuff for the musicians and say, this is what I'm hearing in my head. Now try to go recreate it in a sense. Or does he say, hey, Tony, listen, just be Tony. You're Tony. Uh, uh, good question. And and I don't remember too much of the, the hours, how they went in the studio. But by and large, my sense was that when he first met me, I, and who knows why, what he had heard that I had played. But he, he decided that I was appropriate for, for Ellis and and uh, then for Peter Gabriel, and that my playing was was okay, and my sound. In those days, I played a standard, uh, a Fender Precision, a standard bass that right. sounded kind of like rock, and but also like most most other bass players had that bass. So I don't know why, but he decided I I was the sound that I got was okay for the album. Uh, I remember I'll tell you two stories about the Chapman Stick. When I first turned up with it. Uh, he looked at it and he said, I don't even want to plug that in. Just leave that in the case. I don't know what that is. Put it back in the car. <laughs> yes. And then many years later, I was I was really chuffed. I was really uh, pleased when when uh, doing the Pink Pink Floyd album when he said, and I want take out take out the stick for the beginning, not the whole piece, but the introduction of this piece. It's very Pink Floyd. You know, what if we recorded the stick digitally and then the bass analog in the next part of the piece? Uh, very complex, but but very appropriate for Pink Floyd. And yes, and and so I finally got to play uh, the stick on the Chapman stick on some of Bob's production. And yeah. and I'm eternally grateful for to him for that day in July '76 when when he introduced me to Peter Gabriel and Robert Fripp in one day. And also wow. Steve Hunter, a fantastic guitar player whom I still work with, and and some of the other guys on the session I did know, but all those people I didn't know, and and still making music with the three of them. And well, you actually yeah. got to work with with a, with a friend of mine, Alan Schwartzberg, the drummer. He is terrific. Yes, I, I spoke to Alan about two weeks ago. I, he's okay, so good. he is terrific. I and mean, the only reason I didn't mention him, Alan and uh, Jimmy Malin, also the percussionist on on that first. Uh, session with Peter Gable is I knew them very well. I, I recorded all the time with them in New York. I'd probably done 30 albums with Alan. So I didn't mention him as somebody that Bob introduced me to. But yes, he did the first live tour with Peter Gabriel. And then uh, Alan, I think, chose to to stay with the studio career that he was so successful with in New York. And and I had the complete opposite uh, uh, reaction when I first toured with Peter Gabriel of uh, Peter I don't want to record in the studio anymore in New York. I want to be on the road with you. And uh, and that's where my, my career took a big left turn and is still in that. I, I get to do some recording, but I'm still very much uh, more fond of, of playing live. Yeah, I can see that. And, and, and I must imagine, and I didn't mean to get back to Peter, but it's got to be challenging because he does not do the same set list. He sort of mixes stuff in, brings stuff out, and he says, you know what? I'm not doing Shock the Monkey. I'm not doing Games Without Frontiers. <laughs> I'm doing what I want to do. So that's that's got to keep you on your toes and keep you going, okay, what's tonight going to bring? Well, uh, that's not really the case. In practice, I I know all of these pieces. I've, I've right. I recorded them, and I kind of remember them. Uh, in fact, it's it's Peter who's the slowest at recalling how a piece goes. So we need to rehearse them quite a bit before the tour to have on hand. There is no piece in my in my memory. We've never been on tour and have Peter say, "I know we haven't played this piece or rehearsed it, but let's do this one." Uh, that's not what happens on Peter's tours. 
Right. Or or actually any band, <laughs> even with King Crimson, with that gigantic 50, 50 uh, compositions in our repertoire before the tour, we'll rehearse 50 pieces and have them, have them ready. But Jeez. we won't just surprise ourselves. Man, you don't want to just throw it up on Pro Tools and just push a button and, and just pretend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we don't want to do that. Um, I don't know how much more time, but let me just ask you a couple more questions on the Canadian front. You worked with Lawrence Gowan, who I'm actually interviewing tomorrow, and uh, you did Strange Animal that had a Criminal Mind, one of the greatest Canadian singles ever released. How does Tony Levin end up on Gowan? I mean, he's, he's a, you know, back in the, at that time, mid-80s, you were the Peter Gabriel guy, the, you, you were the uh, Alice Cooper guy, the, the Session guy, the Lou Reed guy. How do you end up on a rookie Canadian's, I mean, and, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but he's just, uh, you know, a local guy, and he's got Tony <laughs> Levin on, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the album. How, how does that happen? Uh, well, the, the, the simple answer is my perspective of the world and of everything you just described is entirely different than yours. Right. Every, so when you say he, every time you say he's Canadian, everybody's from someplace. Okay. So of course. Let's, of let's, course. let's replace that with, okay, he's a New Yorker. So how do I come? You know, right. To right. me, it's, it's completely different. He, he plays really good music. He writes really good music. He found me somehow. I think he was interested, frankly, in using Peter's rhythm section because he liked the way we sounded in the record. He found us. He asked us. We heard the music. It was good. We said yes. I can speak for Jerry Murata also, but but yeah. that's the way I am to this day. Of course, I'm a little busier. No, I was pretty busy then. You know, I hear some music. I, I would say almost every musician I've known is that way. You hear some good music. What do you want to do? What, what you do with your life, your life's goal and your life's joy is to play on good music. You don't really care where the guy's from or whether he's famous or not. I, I played with some great stuff with people uh, who weren't famous and some of it like larry's became very popular and yeah. some of it uh nobody ever heard right and it's equally sad i don't really follow the sales of the album i just uh, get to play good music and and i was inspired and and i learned some stuff from larry he's also uh, also a great performer live as you know uh yeah so, uh, so we, we, you're tapped into the experience. Canadian guilt. We, we, we always sort of feel that we're, it's us against I understand the world. <laughs> that. I, I understand that. And let me tell you in a serious way, it's not just Canada. It's a right. lot of places. You know, it's, it's uh, Milwaukee and it's, uh, huh. you know, Australia. Huh. So, and I play with people, not, really my whole career, from around the world. So it's not just Americans. So I see that a lot. I see a lot of, uh, uh, whatever you call it, not guilt, but, but the, uh, you know, yeah. I realize I'm not from the big town, and 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 I come from Boston. When I moved to New, I, I went to school in Rochester. When I went to New York City to be to fall into studio work, uh, I I considered being in, <laughs> a little intimidated because I'm not a New Yorker, and I'm not one of the cats, and I'm not from there. And I don't know how I handled it, but I can relate and I understand. But in fact, that's not part of my perspective as a musician. Right. Is not where the guy is from, or whether he's famous, or or. Uh, you know what his budget is it's how good the music is All right good music is good music uh in terms of the stickman you mentioned an ep uh is that just a taster until we get to a full album or are we in a marketplace where we sort of put out an ep every six months a year and go here's the four songs we've got go enjoy them we'll get back to you in six months from now uh, <laughs> yeah, very good question. I would say it's not exactly either of those, but we have this new music. We would have liked to finish the whole album before this tour. Right. Uh, we very much want to have something on the tour. And Tentacles is five of the pieces that I would guess there'll be 10 or 11 of them 
on the full album CD release, which will we hope. Well, we we tour again in the fall, so it'll by October we'll have that done easily. So yes, it's a little of, of both of those, and and we really want to have some new music, and it doesn't make too much sense to to play the new tr- new pieces, which are our passion right now, and to not be able to let anybody hear it after the show. So uh, the EP is partly for that reason. Yeah, here's our new music. No, you can't buy it. <laughs> right, you can't hear it again ever. <laughs> Maybe next year if you're a good good boy and come back to the, the show. Yes, yeah, so that's called ten, Tentacles. I'm not sure. I don't handle that end, but I don't even know if it'll be for sale on the web. But it will, we'll have it at the gig. So, so if people like it enough, they'll they'll hopefully buy it. Yeah, I got to get out to that gig in uh, in Montreal on April 12th. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, I'm glad you mentioned CD because that is, of course, the best format to listen to music in. I'll just say that. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, last question, because I, I could do this for the next hour and a half. Um, oh, you're very kind. Oh, there's so many questions. I mean, we, we to me, we barely touch Peter Gabriel. I know to you, you're like, Jesus, this guy's only asking about Peter Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. But it's a different perspective. Uh, I'll, I'll finish with this. Uh, Richie Sambora, Stranger in This Town. Uh, he, of course, comes from Bon Jovi, very radio-friendly, very MTV-friendly. And they say, hey, let's get you in here to do this. And, of course, you, you, you they've got songs by Desmond Child and Diane Warren. So it's going to be a big thing. Uh, quickly talk to me about working on that, on that, and doing Ballad of Youth and Rest in Peace, because it's it's a very blues raw. I mean, it's certainly not Peter Gabriel. It's certainly not Lou Reed. Uh, talk to me about that one. Well, I'm a friend of his, so so musically and personally. So so Richie and Tico and and David, the, the, the amazing guys, the guys who were on that record. Yeah, just. Richie wanted me on the record. I didn't, you know what? It's a little bit typical of me. And I don't know why, but I never ask. I never say, why do you want me on this album? You know, we're all rock players right. of a sort. And if I do more prog stuff, progressive stuff than they do, that's not an issue. I've, I've done less progressive stuff too. Uh, and it worked out great musically. The most fun I had was in Tico's basement, just running down the pieces and recording the demos. Uh, actually getting down to the going to LA and and getting down to the, technically doing the album wasn't it was fun, it was okay and they're fun guys but but I had the most fun uh, being in the basement with the part of the most of the Bon Jovi band and playing rock and 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 let me say that Richie I'm not jealous at all at all yeah. T- totally fantastic totally singer jealous. And fantastic uh, yeah. uh, uh, guitar player and and so probably the like I liked the new material a lot it was very good but just jamming on Hendrix stuff was more fun. It was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Wind Cries Mary. Uh, okay. So yeah. Final question then. Do you approach all these projects from Stickman to Peter to Lou to Alice to Larry Gowan all the same? I mean, you're Tony Levin and you do what Tony Levin does, or do you sort of research it and pr- practice for it and say, okay, the, we're doing a Sambora record. I got to play this. How do you sort of approach it? A uh, Good question. I, I don't have that, that one thing you mentioned of, of, uh, I'm Tony Levin. At, that doesn't, you know, like this. Probably you just don't wake up and think, "Well, I'm me, and and this is the way I got to be." So subtract that from it all. And uh, usually, I just want to go in and, and hear the music fresh. I think there have been a few times in my. I, I did not, for instance, I didn't listen to Genesis before I played on Peter Gabriel's music. I didn't listen to King Crimson when I was. I knew Robert Fripp and was recording on his uh, Exposure album, and I still hadn't heard King Crimson. Wow. Uh, yeah, the Pink Floyd 
I, I, I can't can't say that I I'm not an expert at Pink Floyd, but I I had heard it some, but I actually listened to a little bit before I went into that, but most mostly for fun before I went into that session. So uh, uh, yeah, somehow a combination. No think no, no thinking about I'm me and I have to do this, but just the right. uh, you know there's almost always demos you hear, and uh, if I need to if if they say they want it in the style of Bon Jovi, that's different. Then I'll go. Nowadays, on well, Bon Jovi, I wouldn't have to, but you know what I mean. If they say this, we're going to do this album in the style of Radiohead, then I'll go listen to some some uh, YouTube things of that. But generally, I, I I listen to the music and I get a sense. Usually, I have to choose which instrument I'm instruments plural I'm going to bring to the session. Right. Can't bring them all, and I have here in in my arsenal. You're looking at uh, I have. A, a huge choice, so I want to get a sense of where I'm going and pick the right couple of instruments, and that involves getting familiar with the demo and maybe asking the person a little bit, you know, how would you feel about the upright that I played <clears throat> on a certain Peter Gabriel piece versus a, a big fat uh, electric bass sound. Gotcha. And um, uh, what was I going to say? Last, 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 last one. Uh, <laughs> you, you, of course, have been on a million uh, different records. Uh, are you like sort of like Leland uh, Sklar who? has done a million records, but then has done a million more as a ghost? Have no, I don't, even, I don't even know what that means. So, uh, no. being a ghost and, and musician, way, have you been an uncredited musician on a bunch of albums? Not that I know of, no. no. Okay, there yeah. you go. But it, let me say about Lee, Lee is, is such a funny guy and a great guy and a great bass player. Of course, I'm a fan, and when I see him, I have an extraordinary picture for those who haven't seen me. I'm bald and... and He's got all the hair I, I missed out on. So we, we took a picture with me seated and him standing behind me with his beard, his long beard, uh, looking like it's my hair. So for the one time in my life, I look like I have long hair. It's one of my favorite pictures of myself. Uh, but I, I I haven't got his book yet. And I know we both have a photo book out. This will tell you. Here, there you go. This will describe it all. We each put out a photo book in the same year. Mine is of... Uh, road pictures on the road with with Peter Gabriel and King Crimson and others through the years. His is of all people giving him the finger. Famous <laughs> musicians he's played with all giving him the finger. There's a difference between us. You know, his, that's great that he did that. You know, what am I bothering with all these pictures of the scenery in, in uh, Chile and in, in uh, Bolivia? You know, he's just got somebody great giving him the finger it's fantastic <laughs> that's the greatest book and and of course i recommend all this stuff for everybody uh tuesday april 12th 8 p.m club soda in montreal head over to uh, clubsoda.ca for tickets and uh, as we say merci and uh man i've been listening to you for four months straight these days with all this wow. Peter gabriel stuff so well, thank you for that uh thank you for doing your homework and, and thanks above all for having me on it's it's a uh a joy and, and you get me thinking in different ways than I usually do. And it even better, maybe a, a couple of people will come to the show who wouldn't have known about it. So thank you for that. Absolutely. And uh, thank you. And uh, keep rocking, as we say, keep making music because uh, you got people like me best. that are ready to buy it. I appreciate that. Thank you. Merci bien. An all new episode of the Mitchell Fun and Jeremy White Show. Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews, bonus content, and episodes on demand now. Visit youtube.com slash Jeremy White Show. Follow Mitch and Jeremy on Twitter. Yeah, they're verified. At Mitch LaFon and at Jeremy White MTL.